Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, with a special bonus pod this week. We aren't able to go uh, Penn State, Indiana week without getting one of our friends from the IUSB Nation site, Crimson Quarry, on board. So, reached out, got my uh, pal, Austin Matricardi. He works for uh, CQ, and Austin is in lovely Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania right now. Austin, how you doing, man? I'm not doing too bad, man. You know, just trying to take in the beautiful sights of Mechanicsburg, kind of get settled in before tomorrow's game. Uh, I, you're hamming it up for our Harrisburg uh, listeners, which I'm. Uh, that, that's a good way to endear yourself to an opposing fan base before you probably predict that they're going to lose a football game. Uh, we'll get to. All that stuff later, because Indiana is actually a really interesting team to me. Uh, I think it's a really interesting team to a lot of Penn State fans, because uh, it's something that we've said on the pod in the past, everyone has written in the past. The schools kind of mirror one another with Indiana Indiana football is Penn State basketball, Indiana basketball is Penn State football. Well, this year, coming into the year, there was uh, this... I will call it a movement uh, because Dan Dockage hasn't tried to co-op it yet. Uh, <laughs> for nine Windiana, this belief that the CQ guys were behind that this team could legitimately win nine games for the first time in decades. Wasn't how much of that was like a really legitimate, serious belief that you guys had, and how much of that was, you know, it's the off season. We want it to be football season. Let's joke around and have something to make it feel like uh, the summer is progressing a bit faster. I, I think it varies from guy to guy on the staff. I, I think that there were some of us who were full bore. Indiana is going to win nine games. And some of us who thought of it more of, you know, kind of just jokingly. But me personally, I, I wasn't necessarily in the, the full bore nine games crew. But I, I did believe that Tom Allen had assembled some really good talent and this team was better than the typical Indiana team, uh, which was why I personally was really excited coming into the season, and the Hoosiers haven't disappointed. It, that, that's what's kind of surprising to me as someone who observes Indiana football. Um, you normally expect when there is some amount of expectation, again, very much like Penn State basketball, they're going to crumble under the weight of those uh, relative expectations. But when you go back and look, yes, they played Ohio State. Yes, they played Michigan State. But Indiana got about as favorable of a crossover with the Big Ten West as they could have gotten. So how much of the optimism was around the team, was around the coaching staff, was around all those factors? And how much of it was around that there, the month of October uh, was Rutgers, Maryland, Nebraska, Northwestern? Well, I think when you start talking about nine Indiana. Uh, that's the schedule is definitely a huge part of that. I, I mean, if the schedule had Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, not knowing that they were going to be that good then, but now knowing how good they are, you know, you have Iowa as a crossover game. Maybe it's eight Windiana instead. But w when you you know look at how the schedule just came out for the Hoosiers this year, that's definitely a huge part of it, um, especially when you're looking at. Usually when the schedule comes out, Indiana fans try to talk themselves into how does this team win six games and get bowl eligible, and you start kind of just counting, hoping that you can get to six, maybe seven, to give yourself a little breathing room for a weird dead duck 
loss that the Hoosiers usually suffer. A lot of fans are certainly waiting for that at some point this season. Um, but when the schedule came out, you look at it, you go, maybe there's seven wins here. Maybe there's eight. And that's when things kind of got a little scary because, as you said, when there's expectations that that's not a great time to be an Indiana <laughs> fan if you're familiar with the program because expectations lead to heartbreak more often than not. Well, I, I mean, I think back to uh, the various Penn State-Indiana games from over the year. And in a way, that's like a very fun, silly microcosm of Indiana, the program, because there was, of course, that one uh, game in 2013, which is still the only Big Ten road game I have ever been to that Penn State has played, so I try not to go to anymore. But then you look through, and it's Penn State by six. Uh, Penn State, there was that game in 2016, last year's game, where it was uh, by five or six or whatever. It's a bunch of matchups that are always really close, and... I don't know. Like, do you? It, it's funny how, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this. How it all again? It seems like Penn State, Indiana, is just kind of a microcosm for Indiana football as a whole because, like, they're always just so, so, so close. But with one or two exceptions, they've never really gotten to the point where uh, they are able to do, you, you know, kind of grasp what is in front of them. Yeah. No. I, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Indiana football historically has just kind of been this program that they're right there in terms of going from being a, a poor or a, a mediocre program to being good. I, I mean, we've talked about this a lot around the, the Hoosier fan base, but it, it's been 25 years since the Hoosiers were ranked in the top 25, and this team has done that. So it, it it's kind of odd to see them succeeding. Um, they've been chasing it for a long, long time and always coming oh so close. I, I mean, one of the famous examples that we use quite a bit when we talk about this team kind of being a, a dog chasing its tail, perhaps, is their 2015 game against Ohio State where they lost Nate Sudfeld, starting quarterback, to an injury during the game. They lost Jordan Howard to an injury during the game, and somehow they still lost on the final play, um, and Ohio State might have committed a defensive pass interference penalty. No, in, not in, that Ohio in, State. Yes, in, in the end zone. They may have committed a, a DPI in the end zone, and the Hoosiers lose by a score. So... That, that's kind of a big one that sticks out for everybody, especially in recent memory. But there are countless games like that. You know, there's at least one or two every season. So uh, it's it's interesting to be around the program. And once you kind of immerse yourselves into it. But uh, Penn, the Penn State matchup has actually been a pretty good microcosm of that, like you mentioned. So when, again, you look through all, you look through IU's schedule, they Close game against Ball State to start the year, blow out Eastern Illinois in the second game of the year, uh, get trounced by Ohio State in the third game of the year. All of that is very Indiana football. When was the moment where it kind of started to feel real for fans, uh, people around the program, whatever, that 
this year's Indiana team, you know, them winning nine games, them having one of the best years in program history wasn't just something that we were doing as a joke. Like, oh, wait, they could back this up with what they do on the field. I think that there's probably a few different answers to this. I'm going to say right around the the middle of October, um, the Hoosiers got Rutger for homecoming, and homecoming is famously a disaster waiting to happen for Indiana. They, they'd lost every homecoming game for the last 10 years, I think. Um, and it just hadn't been good. There had been some truly, truly comical losses for Indiana on homecoming. Uh, and can, can I get one example of that? I, I believe that at one point, I believe it was 2015, they led Rutger by 21, maybe 28 around halftime. And then they came out and they allowed like 40 points in the second half and then lost. <sighs> yeah, um, those th- those are those are ballpark numbers, but trust me, I was there. It was agonizing. Um, it was truly truly painful to watch. But this year, Indiana, Rutger, homecoming, they come out, they take care of business, win thirty five to nothing. It was never really particularly in question, and I think that for this Indiana team to be able to come out and just take care of business like that not really have to worry about it, beat a team that you're supposed to beat. That's kind of a big deviation from the norm. Um, Indiana fans have talked about having a breakthrough, and usually that breakthrough is we want to beat Ohio State. We want to beat Penn State. We want to beat Michigan State. We want to beat Michigan. This team has kind of – they've broken through in a different way just by beating – lesser and similar teams in that three game stretch where they, they beat Rutger, they go to Maryland, they beat Maryland, they go to Nebraska, they beat Nebraska. I think that that was huge because this program had not done that in a while. Just beating the teams that you're supposed to beat or beating winning close games, frankly. So that's that three game stretch Anywhere in there, if you want to say that that is where you just decided that this this team is legit, I think that's an acceptable answer. It seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, like one of the hallmarks of a good team is you beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And in past years, Indiana has not always beaten the teams they're supposed to beat. Oh, no, you're absolutely correct. I, I mean, if you look at the the Ohio States, the, the, the good programs around the country – what they do year in and year out is they beat the teams they're supposed to beat with regularity. And, and Indiana just hasn't been that. Indiana is a program that will lose an odd game to the worst team in the conference. Indiana is a team that I believe lost to North Texas at some point in the last decade. Indiana loses weird games that they're supposed to win, and that's what's held them back as a program for however many years now so that's a big problem in the the history of the program and it seems like this team might have it figured out somehow I, I mean there's only one more game left that the Hoosiers should win and it's at Purdue and I'm certain that there's at least some portion of the fan base that's absolutely terrified of that game because rivalry game. 
Yes. What yeah. better way to cap off a, a special historic season by the Hoosiers than to go to Purdue, uh, somehow drop dead and lose the old Oak and Bucket game? That that feels fitting. So I'm sure that there's plenty of reason to be scared about that one. So, I mean, is but having said that and having admitted, as you just did, that like there's a not impossible path to them ending the regular season 7-5 and five with what they have uh, on the horizon. Is the vibe around IU fans still, listen, like we're going to enjoy this as much as possible, or is that kind of lingering in the back of everybody's heads? I think that... It's kind of split, obviously. That that seems like a cop-out. I know that a lot of the people that I know personally, we're enjoying it. Uh, this season has been special, as I mentioned. Um, Indiana doesn't get to seven wins in the first weekend of November hardly ever. So I, I think that for the most part, there there are people that are definitely enjoying this, just trying to take it in as it's happening and... But, of course, there's always going to be the small portion that uh, doesn't want to be quite as optimistic. Uh, understand. I mean, we have a uh, version of that here in Happy Valley that I can sometimes fall victim to. So I'm not, I, I totally understand it. Uh, let's talk about this game. It's an interesting game. Um, as we sit and discuss it now, uh, I don't recall here... Uh, our pal Bill Connolly of SB Nation has Penn State winning uh, by 12 points. Vegas has the Nittany Lions uh, by, I believe, 14 and a half. Uh, yep, 14 and a half is correct. And then ESPN's FPI uh, has Penn State about a 90% chance to win. That feels like a bit much to me. Like It just feels like Penn State by two touchdowns considering what this Indiana team has been is a bit much. Is that, would you agree with that? I think that it's just, just enough for me to say that taking Indiana and the points would be a a decent bet. Um, 14 is a bit too much for me, but I I believe that 10, 11, that sounds about right. I am. I I'm pretty optimistic about Indiana covering the spread, but Indiana actually making this like a, a one possession game when you know the clock strikes zero. That sounds a little much in the other direction. I'm kind of between the two, somewhere between seven and twelve points, in yeah. my opinion, is where it, where it lands. Yeah, that that sounds. I mean, when I you know I went on to a when to your side I said eleven, so that's right in that ballpark. Let's talk uh, about this Hoosiers football team. Uh, like we did with the pod earlier this week. I want to start with the defense because I think their offense is the more interesting unit to talk about, so we'll save that for last. Uh, I think the one thing that we can all expect about IU's defense, uh, and has been the case all year, even if they're not the most talented, you know, they're not the five stars, the high four star types of dudes, there is talent on this defense, but the one thing that I think we can safely say, Austin, is that they're going to be a really well-coached group that comes in with a game plan that they're going to go out and execute. Yeah, uh, it's been that way since Tom Allen arrived in Bloomington, and I, I think it will continue to be that way as long as he is in Bloomington. That's been his calling card. He, he's a defensive-minded coach. He's a really good defensive coach. Um, this year, he's handed over the defensive coordinator duties, but 
he handed them over to his linebackers coach, Kane Womack, for la- from last season, who's more or less a, a younger carbon copy of him. So it's interesting to watch how that's kind of unfolded, and it hasn't made terribly much of a difference. I, I think that this season, uh, Indiana's defense is a really young unit. You look around, uh, and there's a lot of you know, uh, redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores. There, there's a lot of these younger guys who you know have talent, uh, have been some of the, the big pieces of Tom Allen's early recruiting classes at Indiana who are starting to get into these starting roles. And you've seen it. You've seen the talent from time to time. You just They also make the same errors that every young player makes. Um, so the, it'll expect that from this Indiana defense. They will have a game plan. It should be executed rather well, but there will be one, two, three boneheaded errors. You know, just you. But there, on the flip side, there will be one, two, three plays where you go, "Wow, that guy's pretty good." Where is uh, if you want to go by units, individual players, like a skill that. The group is that whatever it is, this is very much open to your interpretation. Where is the strength of this Indiana defense? I, I think that the strength of the group, I would have to say, is in the linebacking core. Um, they're in the middle of the defense. There are a lot of interesting players. That the guys who you know I look to and say that that could be a dude going forward. Those are them. Um, obviously, losing Thomas Allen. Um, uh, Tom Allen, the head coach's son for the rest of the season to an injury was a big loss. Um, he was a guy who I, I liked, but he's gone now. Uh, Micah McFadden is a guy who I, I believe he's a sophomore and he's leading the team in tackles. He's got six TFLs on the season. He's been pretty good. He, he's one of the, the biggest guys who as a youngster, you can see, He's got a lot of talent. Give him another year or two, and he could be a dominant player. Um, one of the the older guys on the defense, Raquan Jones, plays next to McFadden as the two starting linebackers in Allen's four-two-five defense. And that pairing, McFadden and McFadden and Jones, I believe, are the the possibly the two best players on the entire defense. They're both really solid. Uh, top two tacklers, they both make things happen, which is what Indiana desperately needs somebody to do against this Penn State offense to hopefully have some kind of success. And then where uh, where is the area that you think, if Penn State is able to have a big game, Penn State's able to you know break 35, 40 some odd points, uh, 500 yards of offense, what, where is the unit that you think the Nittany Lions are going to try to exploit? I think that they're going to have to exploit Indiana's defensive backs. Um, that being said, Taiwan Mullen is a true freshman for Indiana, and he's probably stepped up and become the number one corner for the Hoosiers. He's been tremendous. Everybody behind him is a bit more suspect um, they've been good at times this year, but I, I believe that, you know, the the two through four for Indiana at cornerback is a place that could be exploited. 
particularly by you know a guy like KJ Hamler, who you and I have discussed before. I absolutely love him. Um, possibly, you know, I, I know that Penn State's tight end is a pretty big focal point for the offense. Uh, perhaps if you can get him going, that could also be huge. Uh, I don't know if anybody from Indiana can particularly match up with him. Indiana will probably try to use their Husky position, which is their safety linebacker hybrid to cover him. Uh, So that'll be Marcelino Ball and Cam Jones, two talented players, but I'm not sure if they'll be able to match up quite as well as Indiana would need them to. And then, like I mentioned, the offense is what really interests me because Indiana's offense this year has been very, very good. They went out, they got uh, the, the an up-and-rising offensive coordinator in Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State. And what they've been able to do is just go out and basically be a pass-happy machine. Uh, Austin, how much of last week's game did you end up watching, perchance, between Penn uh, State and Minnesota? A pretty significant portion of it. So did as you were sitting there and watching uh, Minnesota, Minnesota with their not particularly talented but very risk averse quarterback, uh, that, that might undersell Tanner Morgan. He's a good football player, and their very good wide receivers attack this Penn State secondary. I imagine that you were probably salivating considering what Peyton Ramsey and the uh, options that Indiana has in the receiving game should be able to do if you know things go according to plan. I actually talked about this with uh, my friend Jacob Rude on the the Crimson Corey podcast earlier this week, and I I think that you're right about that. I, this Indiana offense does some pretty similar things to what Minnesota's capable of. I believe that I called Tanner Morgan a rich man's Peyton Ramsey. Um, Peyton Ramsey, in the past, I haven't been a huge fan of, but he's pretty capable of avoiding turnovers, just managing the game, making the big throw every now and then. And I think if he can do that, things will look good for Indiana. Um, At the same time, Minnesota has two pretty good receivers in Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. I believe that Indiana has a handful of guys who can match that performance, maybe not at the same talent level as Johnson or Bateman, but for Indiana, you've got pass catchers like Wop Fillier, Peyton Hendershot, Ty Freifogel, Donovan Hale, Nick Westbrook, who could very easily have big games. They're all very talented. Um, Indiana's done a good job of spreading the ball around this season. Uh, just watching the way that Minnesota kind of picked apart the Penn State defense definitely had me salivating just a little bit, uh, especially knowing that Kalen DeBoer is running the show and... Honestly, he's been terrific. He's been a revelation in Bloomington. Um, if Indiana's smart, they'll pay him whatever he wants to keep running that offense moving forward. <laughs> well, the, I mean, the issue might be that someone might be he, – he seems like a kind of guy who with you know, may, maybe with this year, but probably one more big year, he's going to be getting, uh, getting calls to go be a head coach somewhere. Agreed. Uh, I, I do think, though, that ta- focusing so much on Indiana's passing attack – uh, well, no, we'll keep doing that. I was going to say that kind of undersells the fact that their Indiana's running back is six foot five and seven hundred pounds of pure muscle. But the reason I think to focus on Indiana's passing attack this week is Michael Penix has been 
unreal when he's been able to play. That's not going to happen if Peyton Ramsey's in there. Does the offense change at all with Ramsey in as opposed to Penix, or is it we're you know we're going to do a lot of the same stuff? Uh, just understanding that Ramsey might have some limitations that Penix might, while also being you know having some things that he might be a little bit better at. I think that the the changes are slight. They are there. Um, I, I Pat Fitzgerald famously said that Michael Penix Jr. and Peyton Ramsey are the same quarterback. I would like to inform you that Pat Fitzgerald was wrong. I know that he what? probably had no. Pat, Fitz- Pat Fitzgerald hashtag doesn't care, but um, they're 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 definitely different quarterbacks. Um, Penix is more of a, a pure talent, uh, a strong armed kind of guy. Um, Ramsey less so in both of those manners. Um, I, the difference in the offense is that. Occasionally, Penix will dial up a a long touchdown pass, or he'll dial up a, a strike down the field much more regularly than Peyton Ramsey will, than the Indiana offense will when Ramsey's in the game compared to Penix. Um, I also believe that the Hoosiers have a, a bit more success in the RPO game when Penix is in. That being said, Ramsey is much more willing to run the ball than Penix mm. has been because Penix is famously uh, – he, he's been a little bit of an injury risk during his time in Bloomington. It's not fair. The, the, the made-of-glass narrative hasn't been fair to him. He's more been a victim of circumstance, in my opinion, but we could do a whole hour on that, so I, I'll just touch on that briefly. But I, I think with Ramsey – what you kind of see is Kalen DeBoer playing to his strengths, which is you know the, the short to intermediate passing game, um, relying on him to be pinpoint accurate, which he is very good at. He, he's a very accurate passer. I believe that he's, he might end up with the Big Ten's career record for completion percentage when all is said and done, and certainly that's partially a product of the the offense that he's played in, but it's also a big credit to his accuracy as a passer. Um, you'll see that you'll also see, you know, plenty of Stevie Scott. You, you mentioned him, but, uh, with Ramsey in the game, the offense is just a little bit different, uh, but not terribly. So, and the thing that makes this one interesting is, it's very hard to have a good offense without a good offensive line. And Indiana does have a good offensive line, but there is uh, one player, uh, their true freshman left tackle, who seems like if you're going to go after this, who really throw stuff at this Indiana offensive line, he's the guy to attack. What has been uh, kind of the story with IU's front? And is Penn State going to – do you think Penn State's basically going to try and exploit it by going, listen – up the middle, they have really good, really veteran guys. We're going to take our chances trying to see what we can do against these tackles. I think that's definitely a thing that could happen. Um, Indiana came into the season. The, the line wasn't terribly great last season or the year before. That was kind of the the reason for after the, the back-to-back bowl appearances for the Hoosiers that things kind of slid backwards just a little bit. The, the offensive line quality wasn't quite there. You could see that there were a, a few players that the Hoosiers had that were 
good or, or at least decent on the offensive line. Um, this year, the offensive line has improved quite a bit. Um, they, they've, they've got some guys who have missed some time. Uh, Hunter Littlejohn was a, he, he is a senior, plays center. Uh, he missed some time with injury, but he's back now. He's rolling. Um, Koi Kronk is the big absence. You mentioned the young guys playing the tackles, and Koi Kronk was the starting left tackle coming into the season. After four games, he got hurt, and he's missed the rest of the season. He will miss the rest of the season as well. Um, that was a big blow for the Hoosiers. But what we've seen is uh, a, a young guy in Matthew Bedford come in and play and play pretty well, honestly. I mean, even after the game in which Kronk got hurt, we were kind of talking about Matthew Bedford and saying, this guy is pretty decent. You know, he, uh, he, he could do the job. And he's only a true freshman which has been impressive. Uh, you, so you look at Indiana's two tackles, uh, Caleb Jones, Matthew Bedford, playing the right and left sides respectively. Sure, they're young, um, and that's something that Penn State could take advantage of. But at the same time, they're also talented guys. They're absolutely enormous. Jones is probably the biggest human being I've ever seen like in person. Um, an Indiana offensive lineman, former offensive lineman, Wes Martin, told me that Caleb Jones is the biggest human that he's ever seen before as well. Uh, he stands six foot eight, three 358 pounds. <laughs> he is absolutely enormous. Just truly, truly monstrous in stature. It's, it's funny because last week Penn State went up against, with Minnesota, they have... Uh, Daniel Falele at tackle, and he's oh, yes. six foot nine, four hundred pounds. So that's a, so that'll be a fun. Uh, oh God, I hope Penn State has the same guys uh, going at Jones they had going at Falele, just because, you know, that would be a very annoying two week stretch. Uh, let's really quickly, uh, to kind of tie a bow in this offense before we go into how you think this game's going to end. Uh, if Indiana's offense sputters out against this Penn State defense. What would you kind of point to? Or do you think that this Indiana offense is just really good and it's not going to sputter out against a defense that has been good all season but did show some cracks last week? I, I think that if this – I don't think that – there's definitely a non-zero chance that the Hoosiers sputter a bit. I would say that if that happens, it's because – the defensive front can get to Ramsey. Um, perhaps the Hoosiers become over-reliant on the running game. Um, that being said, I, I think that they can avoid those two things because, as I mentioned earlier, their strength is the short-to-intermediate passing game. Um, they like to get the ball out quickly, get it to the playmakers and go, which should help them avoid the over-reliance on Stevie Scott in the running game and uh, suffering from you know sacks that will get them set behind the sticks. So I, I don't think it will happen. I do think it could happen. Um, I'm not too optimistic, though I, I am feeling pretty decent about this Indiana offense. 
So I think that we're basically done here. I just got to know what you think. I've said 35-24 Penn State. It sounds like you're going to be in a pretty similar area. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah, actually, I have predicted the exact same score as you on our podcast. I said 35-24. I'm going to stick with it. 35-24 sounds just about right. Uh, That'll be my prediction going into Saturday as well. Well, hopefully, uh, I'm sure you and I are going to disagree how this happens. I would like it if that 35-24 happens with maybe a garbage time touchdown for Indiana. You're probably hoping that Penn State uh, feels the Hoosiers breathing down their necks the entire time. Austin, tell everyone where they could find you uh, on the internet if they are so inclined. Well, you can go on to uh, Twitter, find me at A underscore M-A-T 24. You can also find me over at CrimsonQuarry.com. I've got all kinds of content coming out throughout the week. So uh, feel free to check me out over there as well. Yeah. Austin, uh, great chatting with you as always. And thank you to everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast. Uh, As always, make sure you're liking, subscribing, doing all that. Now that we are on Spotify, make sure you are following us on there. That helps with the whole uh, Spotify algorithm thing that I don't understand. And then with the iTunes, uh, God, that is the oldest thing that I've said in my entire life. With (laughs) iTunes, uh, make sure you're giving us a nice five-star review, subscribing to us there. Again, all this uh, ends up helping. Make sure you're reading, supporting, and following the site, but going out, buying some shirts. Awesome. If I wanted to purchase a Nine Windiana shirt, where would I need to go for that? Oh, you go over to uh, Home Field Apparel, uh, find their website, and they've got it right there. Uh, I mean, you can also find them on Twitter. Great follow, at Home Field Apparel. Uh, no E in apparel in their handle. Very important to know. Uh, uh, <laughs> listen, we are not uh, sponsored by Homefield Apparel, but if they would like to sponsor us, we will happily, happily, happily take your money. Uh, I think that's it for this edition of the podcast. One last time, Austin Matricardi of Crimson Quarry joining us. Make sure you go and show him some love. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, all.